Last week we began our 30-day all-in challenge as we looked at um, authentic community. And Jason preached uh, last week for you, and I know he did a great job. And Jason, I appreciate your being available to do that and doing a great job on that, talking about authentic community. And uh, the objective of our all-in and focusing on the Jerusalem church that we find in Acts 2 that's described so beautifully is for us to look at this early church and see what characterized them that made them such a relevant, uh, dynamic, and healthy church. And uh, that's what we want to do in this, in this study. And so we want to look at that story in Acts just one more time, at least today, and uh, read those verses. I love them uh, because they describe a very exciting and powerful time in the life of the church. And this is what we read. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I think as we, uh, as we look deeper and look at it more often during this time of this study, when we look at this church in Jerusalem described here in Acts 2, I think what we really find is that they were, they were committed to five basic principles or five core values, or they, were, they had five purposes which drove them and allowed them to be such a healthy, a relevant, exciting church. You know, they, they were committed to authentic community. And they understood worship as a lifestyle. They understood the significance and the importance of spiritual growth. And we'll be talking about that next week. They understood and practiced stewardship as a generous lifestyle. And they did that extremely well. And then they were also committed to sharing their faith and the good news that they had found in Jesus Christ. Exciting things had happened in their life because of their discovery of Jesus Christ and accepting Him as Savior, exciting things were happening in the life of the church. And they invited others to come. And it says, day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, our objective in this 30-day challenge is to challenge our thinking about church. That we would understand that church is, is more than a place that we come to. And that it's more than an organization to which we might belong but that we want to become a, a, a healthy, biblical church, a community of people who are a community of faith, so that we can be powerful and inspirational and transformational as we seek to touch our community with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if that's our objective and our challenge, then that automatically means then that we're going to be challenged to make some uh, individual decisions, you and myself as well, uh, around these concepts uh, that we see lived out and fleshed out in the life of this early church. You know, we, be, we want to be challenged to become a part of a Bible study group and to be faithful and regular in that attendance, uh, to be committed to our times of public worship and gathering together, we want to be committed to spiritual growth and discipline and to help us grow in that way. We want to understand what a generous lifestyle means and the stewardship of that generous lifestyle and the impact that it can have upon the life and ministries of a church. 
especially ours. And I think we want to be challenged to say, if we've discovered Christ, and this is our church, and we're all in, and we love our church, then we want to be about bringing people in so that they too will have that opportunity to know Him. Now, what we focus on today is worship, and worship basically as a lifestyle. We'll talk about it uh, corporately and privately, and, and the significance of it. But worship is to be a lifestyle as well. Generosity, stewardship is a lifestyle. Uh, community is a lifestyle principle. I think all of five of these purposes of this early church could be described as being uh, 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 parts of a lifestyle. They all a lifestyle issue for a believer in Jesus Christ. So the first thing I would say about worship, and particularly as we look at wanting to be worshipful, is that worship uh, is because we are made to respond to God with adoration and praise. That's how God has wired us. That's the way we're made. I want to look at two scenes in Scripture in Revelation. First one is in Revelation 4, 9 through 11. And we read these words. Whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne uh, and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Now, that scene from heaven shows the people of God and other living creatures coming before the throne of God, and, and they're expressing their worship, they're expressing their praise because of who He is. He created everything and He continues to sustain everything. Now, we look in Revelation 7, verses 9 through 12, and we also see another, another picture of worship in heaven. John says, After this I looked, and there before me uh, was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in, the loud, in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever Amen. That's a powerful scene of worship, isn't it? That these people and these creations are there before the throne of God and, and that they are worshiping Him with adoration and praise for who He is and for what He has done. Look at those, listen to these words again. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. That's fantastic. And the other thing that's so fantastic is that it is a scene described in heaven of people from every race, every nation, every language, every tongue who are going to be there in heaven and who are going to be participating in that wonderful scene of worship. You see, worship reminds us that it is important in our life because God has wired us that way to, to worship Him. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has placed eternity in our heart. I think that simply means that there is a longing in our life for something beyond this world and this life. And we know that there's got to be something else. And there is. There is an eternity. And so that's our longing to hook up with God and to be in relationship with God. 
And we are made to do that. I think one of the day's devotional readings this past week talked about the fact that like an iPhone, we are wired to worship God. An iPhone, like mine that I hold here, uh, is created to do certain things, to help us in our life. You know, we can uh, obviously talk on it, but it's used for a lot of other things. You can check your email on it. You can send texts. You can Twitter. Uh, you can uh, take pictures with it. You can put all kind of apps on it. They've got a GPS on there. You've got a flashlight, other sports things, news, magazines, papers, all those kinds of things. And when that iPhone works and performs its task appropriately, then it is reflective of the craftsmanship of the company that made it and the people that made it. And we are the same way. When we worship God with adoration and praise, then we're doing what we're wired to do. God has made us and created us to worship Him. And that's what worship is, is reflecting well or giving glory to God because of who He is and what He has done and to do it with a sense of gratitude. Uh, Look again at that church in Acts 2. They knew how to worship. I'm not saying we don't, but I'm saying look at that pattern of worship that they really knew how to worship. In verse 43 it says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Can you imagine what it was like worshiping in that church where everyone felt a sense of awe? And they saw miraculous things taking place? You might be sitting there thinking, I don't ever feel a sense of awe. How come that doesn't happen today? Let me tell you why it happened then and why it can happen today. It's because these people were totally committed, devoted is the word that's used there in Acts 2 to describe them. They were totally devoted and committed in their relationship with God. They knew how to come and look for an experience with God in worship. And that's how they were experiencing that sense of awe and seeing God do wonderful things. They were focused on God and His glory. Now when's the last time you had that sense of awe in a time of worship? Maybe our church needs something to happen to it like what happened to the Brentwood Cathedral in Great Britain not too long ago. They were in morning worship and all of a sudden their worship was disrupted by a loud crash and this great big thing falling through the roof of their church. And what they discovered later was that it was a a big um, chunk of ice that had formed underneath a plane that was passing over the church thousands of miles in the air, uh, feet in the air and all of a sudden that thing broke loose and it just so happened that it fell down on this Brentwood Cathedral in Great Britain. And the pastor uh, uh, James McKay said that everybody left there and notice how, how he describes them trembling with a bit of shock. Trembling with a bit of shock. You know I'm sure that's something that would happen here if something were to fall through here and and get our attention. Well, you know, these people in the early church, I think, had that sense of awe that they were trembling in a bit of shock. And that's how they experienced that awe when they came into worship. So when you look at Acts 2 and their worship, you notice that the reason that they experienced that sense of awe is they knew that that worship was about God and not about them. Now you say, I've got that figured out. I know that worship's about God and it's not about me. But have you ever left a worship experience here and said, you know, I just didn't get a thing out of that today? You know, or have you ever said something like, you know, I don't think Pastor Robert should have, should have said what he said. Or I don't think he should have preached on what he said. Or, or you might have walked out of here and said, you know what? Nobody spoke to me today. Nobody ever knows whether I'm there or not. 
Why can't we sing some of the songs that I like and that I know? You see, when we make comments like that, then we're expecting worship to be about us. And that's not what worship is. Worship is not about getting, but worship is about giving. And it's giving glory and honor and praise to God. Now, at the same time, let me make a clarification on this. That when you give that praise and worship and adoration to God with a sense of awe, that's truly worshiping Him. And you're giving that to God. And that's what He calls for. But you know that when you do that, you are blessed, aren't you? That's why we worship week by week. It's to honor God and then we get blessed in that. Because we know that we've honored Him and we encounter Him in a real and meaningful and significant way in our life. And whatever we're dealing with in our life, we know that we can handle it better because we have encountered the living God and we've experienced Him with a sense of awe. You know, it's just like giving of our tithes and our offerings. We know that we're to do that uh, lovingly, faithfully, and generously, and cheerfully. And we're supposed to give. And Jesus himself says, more blessed to give than to receive. But you know, if you're a faithful giver, that you also receive a blessing when you give. Because you know that you've been obedient and faithful. And the other thing is that God does promise to bless us if we're faithful to give to him. And he does. But remember what worship is about. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about God and our giving praise and glory and honor to God. Look at verse 47. It says they were praising God. I think it says that they were constantly praising God. And when you sense the presence of Jesus, I think your first impression uh, should be to fall before him in all. But the next is to rise and to join in praise and worship and celebration of God. You know, there are over 300 uh, references in the Old Testament alone that encourage us to celebrate the presence of God and to brag about His greatness. And this is our scripture for today. If you've got your Bibles, look there with me. Hopefully if it's on the screen if you don't have your Bible to follow along. But uh, out of many that I could have chosen, I chose Psalm 95. I just think that it's so powerful in, in, in praising God for who He is and what He's done. The psalmist says, Come. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Uh, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. Now, that to me is just a, an incredible description of, of why we should worship and, and how we should worship. See, we need to worship God because of who he is. And, and this, this psalm, like so many other places and references in the scripture, remind us that God is awesome. And he alone deserves that phrase, awesome. You know, and he is awesome because of who he is and because of what he has done. Who is he? He is the great God. No, he, he is the awesome God and magnificent God. He is extreme and vast and magnificent. And he's called the, the great God. And if that wasn't enough, the psalmist also calls him the great king, which speaks about the fact that he is Lord and he reigns over everything, that he is indeed king of kings and Lord of lords. 
Isaiah, he is the owner of everything. That's pointed out from the deepest valleys to the highest hills and all the land and all the sea. And when he holds them in his hand, that shows something about the greatness of God and how awesome he is and how powerful he is. He is the creator, it says, of all things in verse 5 and 6. It also reminds us that our God is a personal God in verse 7. He's worthy to be worshipped because he is a personal God. So he is the God of many. But at the same time, he is the personal God of one. He's your God. He's my God. He has time for you. He wants a relationship with you. He knows us so well, individually. He knows our makeup, our frame, that we're but dust. He also knows the number of hairs upon our head, the Bible says. That's this God who is so awesome, but yet who is so down to earth and practical with us. And the God of one to meet with us. And that's the way God designed it. And all the way through the scriptures you find that reference. That's why he created us. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to redeem us. He wants that relationship with us as personal and meaningful. I think we find the fulfillment of it in that new world to come in Revelation 21. Where John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. See, before I think you can truly worship, you've got to acknowledge the presence of God and who he is and stand in all of his person. And that's when you can begin to, to really experience the awe of worshiping God and knowing who he is. And when you see God in all of his glory, you will want to worship God. Now, the reason that we gather week by week and worship is not just to sing some songs, have some prayers, take up an offering, and hear a sermon, and go home. But we gather here to meet with God. Amen. Jesus promised that where two or three are gathered together, uh, that he would be there in their midst. And I think if you do a better job of preparing yourself to encounter God in worship, you'll never leave out of here saying, I didn't get anything out of that. I didn't like the music. Or I didn't like the sermon. Or I didn't like the scripture. Or whatever. Because if you've really prepared yourself for worship, all the preparation that we put into the worship experience will enable you to experience God. Amen. And you should respond then with praise and adoration. And secondly, we worship together weekly to encourage each other as a people of faith. Uh, some time ago I was doing some cleaning out of some of my books out of the library and cookie out of my library in the office and cookie says time to to uh, clean up a little bit, and she got a lot of it done, and I messed it back up again. But um, one was, I found a book about um, uh, a children's Bible verses, and basically family devotions for small children. So I took it to uh, Philip and Emily Ann, our daughter and son-in-law down in Wagner, and they've got three small children. And um, they said they had been using it a good bit. Uh, one night this week, they called me and wanted to do FaceTime, another great way to, to use your iPhone is to do FaceTime, that Wyatt, our grandson who will soon be three, had memorized, learned his first Bible verse, and he wanted to share it with Papa. And it was uh, out of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Beatitude, Matthew 5, 3. Now, I didn't quite catch the translation that he gave it in, and I forgot to check the other day when we were down there, but I'm sure it was written in for a child's language for that, but he wanted to share that. And I thought the rest of the week, you know, 
I wonder what, what was the first verse that I remember really reciting and learning and putting in my heart? And maybe you might want to think the same thing. What was one of the first Bible verses that you took to heart and that you learned? And I went back and I think, I mean, you know, we know John 3.16 and other things like that. But I think that one of the first ones I learned was Psalm 122.1 that says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You see, that, that's one of those songs of what they call Psalm of Ascent. As they made their way up the journey of the hill to Zion, to the temple, to worship. And they were saying, I'm glad that the day is the day that we go to worship. And that ought to be our attitude every time Sunday rolls around. You ought to be excited and glad to get here. Now, I read about a man in Florida who took it to the extremes. 54-year-old man ran his car into the side of the church, Faith United Methodist Church. And when policemen arrived on the scene and they drug him out of the car, they asked him, what in the world was he doing? And he said, I just wanted to get closer to Jesus. He did $10,000 worth of damage to the church, and the last report of him, he was in the county jail. Now, you don't have to go overboard to do that. Jesus is here. All you got to do is drive carefully, park, don't speed through here because we've got children out there. We've got speed bumps and all that. Just drive carefully and come in carefully and be prepared and you will encounter God. I see the same thing is true in our, our private worship as it should be in our corporate worship. That those two things should mix. As to why we do it regularly, it's to strengthen us, to empower us. We experience authentic community as well when we worship together. And we need to take it to heart that, that we need to be in that pattern of worshiping. You know, if we're not, we're violating Scripture because Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, that word is a great challenge for us today in this culture in which we live today because we face so many challenges the, uh, and so many things that, that prohibit our being actively involved in the life of the church. It's football season. People are caught up in that. you got your own children in athletic events, and a lot of them take place on Sundays, and so you're committed to that. You know, and then from time to time, you got to go off out of town. And, you know, we regret as a staff that some of us had trips and vacations and weddings and all that planned a year in advance or so before we came up with the all-in campaign because we didn't want to miss any, but we were dictated to do that by our schedule. So it's not surprising to find that in basically any church, any church, and particularly in ours, probably around or less than 50% of the membership are in attendance. I don't know where everybody is today. We had late band competitions, ball game was on late. Uh, people going off and all that kind of stuff and traveling. I know from time to time we got people sick. We got people out of town with deaths and all that. A lot of things come up that, that, that hinder that. But when you're not hindered, then you need to be in the house of the Lord because that's a priority. Amen. If you want to know how bad it's gotten over our community, over our country, there are some reports, one published in USA Today, of surveys released that's surprising, that in pockets around our country, Unchurched people, non-believers, attend on a regular, more regular basis than church people do. Can you imagine that? You know what I think is happening? I think that they're seeking and they're searching for truth in this postmodern society in which we live. And too many church people, too many Christians have just gotten bored and, and, and just take it as a routine thing and just 
Don't sense the awe of God in worship anymore or the significance and importance of worshiping together. You know, I know that uh, you and I have, have well heard the phrase that says, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. And that's right on the surface. It doesn't. You know, just coming to church week after week after week doesn't make you a Christian anymore than going to a, a rodeo makes you a cowboy. These pews sit in here 24-7 and, and there's no way they'll ever become Christian. No, but I, the way I read the scriptures and interpret it, it tells me that when you become a Christian, when you are a Christian, when you belong to a body of faith called the church, you're supposed to be here. Because you're supposed to worship God. And you're supposed to get some edification in your, in your spiritual life and in your walk. You know, one of the reasons that um, I, I think that there are so many distractions is because of you know, modern technology. 1970s, it's estimated that the average American experienced about 500 ads a day telling him and her uh, Americans, you know, what we should buy, what we should wear, what we should be like, what should be the values of our life, you know, all those kinds of things. Now today, when you've got Facebook and you've got Groupons and you've got, uh, you know, Google and all the other things modern technology has brought to us, those kinds of influences have risen from 500 ads a day to about 5,000 ads a day saying, buy me, try me, taste me, wear me, drive me, you know, all those kinds of things. Our eyeports, our earports, our brain synapses absorb them. And they cause us to view God and the people and the world in which we live with distorted lenses. So where does the church fit in? Where does the church fit in into that pattern? It's like this. You need a weekly worship schedule as a reminder of what the true values of life really are. And they're not found out there in the commercial world. So you need to hear a message from the church that reminds you that the world does not revolve around you. You need to hear in the church that this is your father's world, that he made it all. You need to be reminded of the fact that in church, the songs, the message, and the people you hang out with here remind you that even though you have seen people all week long mistreated, that that's not the way they're supposed to be treated, but that they're supposed to be treated with respect and dignity because that's what the Bible teaches. When the world tells you constantly that you're not good enough or you're not right enough or that you're not significant, the Bible tells you and the church's message is, is that you are treasured and you are significant to God. See, I think one of the most important decisions you can make in a week's time is to be actively involved week by week in the, in the life of your church. That, that's so foundational. It's one of the easiest things you can do. And we need that corporate worship to together experience the awe and the presence of God. Now, here's the last thing I would say about this worship. Uh, we worship as we live our lives every day to the glory of God. And this is where we get to where it's really a lifestyle principle. In one of the days reading this week, we had a passage out of Romans 12:1 in the Message Translation. And I really love the way this verse reads. Uh, it says, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. See, that, that's making worship 24-7 and everything that you do. You're giving praise and glory to God with your life. 
That means that everything in our life is to reflect the glory and the magnificence and the awesomeness of God. You want to know why this church in Acts 2 was having people added to it day by day? You want to know why that church experienced the awe of the presence of God? You want to know why that church found favor in the eyes of all the people around it? It's because they worshiped 24-7. It was a part of their lifestyle. They reflected God in all that they did. That's what it simply means, that we should live our lives every day to the glory of God. One of Max Lucado's books that he wrote is entitled, It's Not About Me. And uh, I think every Christian ought to read it. To me, all the works that Max Lucado has done, I've enjoyed and been challenged most, and I find them to be more spiritually challenging uh, than any of the other work he did, is the book, It's Not About Me. But that really helps you understand that the world does not revolve around you. It's not about you. And the other one that he did was one of his first. It didn't come popular until after he became popular with other work, but it's called On the Anvil. And that really talks about life lived to the glory of God in spite of differences and difficulties. But in the book, it's not about me. He asked the question, and I'm going to ask to you, just quoting out of the book. How well do you know the following people and organizations? Jack Tinker and Partners. Doyle Dane Bernbach, BBDO, Footcone and Belling, J. Walter Thompson. You know who those people are, what those groups all have in common? They're advertising agencies. They don't promote themselves. They promote other people's products. Now, you're probably not familiar with their names, but let me give you some hint and see if you're as sharp as the 845 group was maybe a little bit older, that recognize some of these, okay? How about plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Alka-Seltzer. That's the work of Jack Tinker and Partners in 1976. Oh, and we're going to go a lot farther back than that, okay? How about We Try Harder? Avis Car Rental. That was a slogan developed by Boyle, Doyle Dane Bernbach in 1962. How about, mm-mm, good. That's what Campbell's Soup is. And that was the catchphrase designed by BBDO in 1935. Been around a long time. Uh, maybe you've never heard of Foot, Cone, and Beling, but I bet you've heard of their motto, when you care enough to send the very best. Hallmark Cards, that's been around their line since 1934. And you might not recognize the name J. Walter Thompson, but you've probably hummed or sung the little jingle he wrote for Kellogg's. Snap, crackle, pop, Rice Krispies. And they make one of the best desserts with marshmallows, don't they? Mm. Well, let's see how you do with some more modern ones, okay? I had Cookie help me with these. How about uh, Good Food, Good Life? What's that advertising? That's the Nestle Company. Okay, and that's by the McCann Group. How about experiencing a new era in computing? McCann also did that work for Intel. Make today delicious. Anybody know that one? It's Kraft Foods by McCann. What do you do? Fast forward through the commercials? (laughs) How about this one now? Safely connecting you in ways you never thought possible. A lot of you have it on your car. OnStar. 
by power of the box. All right, you got two more. I hope you can do better on this one. <laughs> Designed around you. It's a car company. It's Volvo. By global marketing. Now, everybody ought to get this one. What's in your wallet? <laughs> what is that? Capital One, that's right. And that's done by a group called Performix. Now, why all that? Just simply to say this. Like the ad agencies, we're not supposed to promote ourselves, but we're supposed to promote Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. And if our life is a worship experience 24-7, that's what we will do. And people won't know us, maybe. They won't necessarily pay attention to who we are. We might not make a name for ourselves, and that's not what we're supposed to do. But we're supposed to let our light shine and our good, and our good works, right? So that others may see God, right? Our Lord and glorify the Father in heaven. That's why we do that. That's the importance of worship. So let me ask you today as we wrap it up. If you're challenged on any kind of personal level about some decisions about this, which you should be in this all-in experience, then what, what are you challenged about worship? Maybe you're challenged to have a daily quiet time that you haven't done very well. That's the uh, reason why we give you that workbook, that day-by-day devotion book, and send it out on email so you'll have it. And if you don't have a pattern, a regular pattern of daily reading the Bible and some devotion material and a prayer life, we want you to develop one. If you're not in a Bible study class, we want you to get in one and get in that pattern of being a part of that, to fellowship together and study together and experience authentic community. If you don't have a church home, we want you to find a church home here and experience community. No, we want you to learn to worship and to experience that week by week as we worship together. So on all those things we want you to experience and, and to grow in your life because that helps you grow and then that, that, that helps the church. We become a relevant, dynamic, healthy church influencing our community for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for the opportunity to worship you today and for the challenges that you give to us. And I pray that we will be a people of faith who want to worship you in our private time and and together with our church family and be a people whose lifestyle reflects a worshiping attitude because of who you are and what you've done. Father, we know that you've created us. You love us. You've sent Jesus Christ to redeem us and to save us from our sins. You've placed eternity in our heart so that we would have a desire to seek for truth in this postmodern culture so that we can know you and have a relationship with you and spend eternity with you. Now, Father, I pray that any decision that needs to be made today will be made to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.